Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Thursday, November 17th, 2022. November seems to be doing that same thing that October did, which is fly by. In fact, <clears throat> it's only one week from today, Thanksgiving, right? And then it'll feel like the next day is Christmas. And speaking of Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving week, I know a lot of people are traveling, a lot of things are going on. We will not be having daily devotionals again until, well, let me let me bring the calendar up here. So it would be November 28th is when we will start back with daily devotionals. So we will not be having devotionals this coming week due to the holiday, due to everything else. I don't know how many of Amanda's family are gonna be here, but I'm at the kitchen table in the manse. Um, I know that about, oh, I don't know, it's hard to gauge this sort of thing, probably 20 feet or so that way, there's a pullout sofa. And uh, unless my uh, nephew or niece or somebody wants a, uh, a devotional very early in the morning that they're not accustomed to, it wouldn't exactly work out well anyway. So <laughs> we're having the whole family in here to the manse for, uh, for Thanksgiving. So we will not be coming back with daily devotionals until not this coming Monday, but the next Monday. So go ahead and, uh, and remember um, to, to mark your calendars for that. Now, let's get to it because where we come to today is a good place to stop and to take a break for a week because sometimes you read things that you need to chew on for a while, right? Things that you need to process as you consider the mechanics of things and how things work. You know, previously I, I talked about the disciples and where they're at at this point. We're in chapter 14, where they're at in time and space by the time we get to the contents of chapter 14. And uh, I've said several times, we need to take it easy on them, right? We need to cut them some slack because they don't have the, the entirety of the scriptures, right? <laughs> the New Testament has not been written yet. They don't have 2,000 years of church tradition and teaching to help them understand these things. They're processing all of these things. So what we're reading now is the absolute fundamentals of how salvation works, and absolute fundamentals of who Jesus is, of who the Holy Spirit is, of what the Holy Spirit was given to us to do. As such, the disciples, of course, they struggled with this. Y'all, Jesus is there with them. They've seen him do these amazing, phenomenal things, and yet he keeps telling them that he's about to die, but he's not going to stay dead. You know, their experience was Lazarus with that, but outside of Lazarus, everybody else that died well, pretty much stay dead. And yeah, you have the servant girl. And there's a few other examples of resurrection, but you know, those are the exception rather than the rule in their frame of reference. Okay. So Jesus talks about rising again. And then he says he's going back to his father in heaven. What does that look like? You know, I mean, we can read all these things. We have the New Testament in its entirety. We can read about his ascension. It had not happened yet. So they're trying to figure these things out. So again, Cut them some slack, but realize where we come to is the fundamental stuff, right? It, it's the absolute fundamentals of what Christianity is. And so we need to remember that, and, and we need to let this inform our theology. You know, it's fascinating. It's the subjects that everybody knows about that sometimes the worst theology is out there on these subjects, 
okay? Um, how salvation works, for instance. There are so many people believe that there's some, they believe that there's this cosmic scale out in eternity. And if you do, you know, if you weigh the scale, right? And if, if you've got your, your bad things over here and your good things over here, if the good, you know, outweighs the bad enough that you'll get into heaven. Y'all, that, that doesn't exist in God's word. There are some that think that there's other ways to get into heaven. That's why we've been going through this with a fine-tooth comb to understand the principles, the real dynamics of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, yesterday we did that on two fronts. Number one, Jesus saying, if you love me, you'll do what I say. We talked about that. Also, we talked about the Holy Spirit being the spirit of truth, not just that he's truthful, not just the Holy Spirit tells the truth, but the Holy Spirit is truth. As a result, the world rejects him. The world doesn't have him. The world does not see him. And verse 17, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will live in you, right? We're at this point, we talked about the time and space thing, how things are developing. Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit for the disciples. We know from God's word that when we become a follower of Christ, when God saves us, we are indwelled by his Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, but the world, the world doesn't see the truth. The world doesn't know the truth. The world doesn't accept the truth because the world does none of these things with Jesus. Who, by the way, if you rewind to John chapter one, what does it say? He came full of grace and truth, right? That's how the world works. This is what we've been going through. Now, where we're picking up today, we also talked about the Holy Spirit being the counselor. Um, we'll talk more about that today as we continue along. But um, we're in John 14, um, and we're going to pick up in verse 19 today, where we left off. But let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Our Father, please guide us in this time as, again, we talk about the fundamentals. We talk about what real Christianity is. I know, Father, that, that there's some terrible theology and some, some not very good teachings out there that inform our thoughts, that inform our opinions. Let us be captive to your word. Let us put aside those preconceived notions that are not founded in Scripture and instead read your word, believe it, and do what it says. This is our calling. Help us to be people of your word. This won't happen apart from your Holy Spirit, so please guide us now. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so. Let's pick up in verse 19. Again, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, okay? Jesus said in verse 19, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now, that's the concept that we left off with yesterday, and we said this is the core of Christianity, it's always been the core of following God, though, y'all. Remember what God said in the Old Testament to the Israelites? Be holy because I'm holy, right? And, and the gauntlet was laid down for them, and it was obey and trust me and you'll live. Disobey and don't trust me and you'll die in the desert. And a lot of the Israelites chose death, 
right? Same concept here. Jesus doesn't say it in such forceful words, but y'all, there's no way to misinterpret this, right? This whole idea that if, if you're in me, again, excuse me, because I live, you also will live. Y'all, that has got to lead us to the logical deduction that if we live because of Jesus, if we don't have Jesus, we won't live. Again, exclusivity. Jesus claims not only that he's the only savior, he's the only life. Does that sound familiar? I am the way, I am the truth. Oh yeah, and I am the life. Back in verse six, no man comes to the Father except by me. See, Jesus is recycling this over and over again. He is teaching his disciples. And by extension, his word teaches you and me. Now, in verse 20, we, we talked about this very briefly yesterday, but it says, Jesus said, on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father. What's the day that he's talking about here? Okay, is this the day also that the world will no longer see me anymore, but you will see me? How does this apply to you and me? Like I said yesterday, remember y'all, that Jesus is offering broad teachings on what being one of his children really is, okay? On what Christianity is, though he's not using that term, but that's what this is. He's laying down the principles of faith that apply to every Christian everywhere across time. However, remember that this is a time of instruction specifically for his disciples about the events that are going to transpire over the next few days. All right. Don't read too much into this and then take off on some theological tangent or on some hyper spiritual thing about how if we want to see Jesus, then fill in the blank. And on that day, that day that he's talking about, y'all, what Jesus is talking about, again, is the fact that he's going to be crucified He's going to be resurrected, and then he's going to appear to them, and then he's going to ascend back into heaven. But then there's another day that he's talking about for the disciples, too. Which one is it? Um, the, 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 the day that he's also talking about is the day coming when they will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That day at Pentecost, right? When, uh, when the Holy Spirit, it was like the wind. It wasn't the wind, it was like the wind. Doesn't that make sense? If you were at church this past Sunday, we talked about the Holy Spirit being the wind in John chapter 3. But nevertheless, is Jesus talking about that time that he appears to his disciples after his resurrection, before he ascends? Is he talking about the day when they receive the Spirit? I don't really know. None of us really know, and that's okay. We can have our opinions on it, but it's just an opinion. The important thing to realize is this. What Jesus is not doing here is talking about some secret path to a, a higher plane of spirituality. That's not what this is. Y'all, that has always been a big seller in Christianity. It just has. This idea that there is some way some unknown or some secret way to have a closer relationship with the Lord, to have to, to operate at a higher level of understanding. And usually it's sold by telling you that if you do this, you'll receive a higher amount of blessings. 
Okay, this is where the name it and claim it theology of the world comes in. Where if you find the secret path in the scripture, if you name it and then you claim it for yourself, then God's got to do it for you. Y'all, God always keeps his promises. Okay, but realize that the promises that God make about prosperity are about spiritual prosperity. Your faith is not going to result in you being richer. Your faith is not going to result in you having more stuff. How could it? Your faith will result in you storing up treasures for yourself in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. But didn't Jesus talk about the futility of treasures on earth where the thief will break in and kill and steal and where moth and rust will destroy? Didn't Jesus himself talk about the fact that foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has not a place to lay his head? Oh, this is not some secret path to higher planes of spirituality. This, when he talks about on that day, he's not talking about some self-actualization moment for you and me. If we work hard enough, if we pray hard enough, if we do fill in the blank hard enough, that's not what this is. This is the timeline, okay? He is talking about how he is going to work in his disciples. He is talking specifically about the promise of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Because he continues along. Again, verse 20. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, and then in parenthesis, not Judas Iscariot. He's already gone at this point. But then Judas said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Y'all, again, this is kind of like previously in verse 8 when Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. It's kind of the same thing going on with Judas, though not Judas Iscariot, different Judas, who says, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Y'all, what has Jesus been talking about all along? He's been talking about, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments, and I'll be in you, and you will be in me. And, and, and as a result of that, he who loves me will be loved by the Father. And Judas, again, it's, it's kind of like Philip. He's missed it. And so yet again, Jesus goes back to the basic concept of, if you want to see me, if you want to know me, if you want to love me, you will live by faith doing what I've said. That's why verse 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. You know what the core of what Jesus is saying here is? Y'all, if you want to know Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, the way that you will do it is through trusting in him and being captive to his word. That's it. Jesus gives the progression. If you love me, you obey my teachings. And if you obey my teachings, I and the Father will dwell in you. Now, we need to be careful 
we need to be oh so careful here because what Jesus is not saying is if you work hard enough and if you're good enough and if you please us enough then we'll come to dwell within you it's not what he said he said if you love me and the tangible expression of that love is doing what he said but the root is loving the Lord. The root of Christianity is trusting in the Lord, trusting that his teachings are true and that what he desires for you is best, um, trusting that he is at work in our lives and we can obey and leave the consequences to him. Loving him is where Christianity begins and ends. And Jesus gives us the tangible expression of love here. And that tangible expression is that what we do indicates our love. Y'all, there are many teachers of this in life. Um, one of which is marriage. Another of which is raising children of your own. What you do shows your love. And even if you don't have those experiences yet, I know we've got young people on here that aren't married yet and don't have children yet, and that's fine. Y'all think about your own experience. When do you feel loved? Is it when somebody just says it? Or is it when somebody shows it? You see, it's the action that is the tangible expression of the reality. Such is the same with our following Christ, right? And Jesus says, hey, these words, these aren't my words. They belong to the Father who sent me. And then he caps it off and he says, all this I have spoken while still with you. He's talking about his physical presence there with them. Verse 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, this is where we end for today, but it's a good place to end because it's a lot to chew on. Again, we have the counselor name. Now, previously, verse 16, Jesus said, and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Jesus doesn't get specific about who the counselor is, but fast forward down here, verse 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, Jesus reveals that the counselor is, in fact, the Holy Spirit. And he also reveals that the Holy Spirit is the one whom the Father will send in my name. This gets down to the core of who the Holy Spirit is, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son in the name of the Son to accomplish the will of the Father and the Son. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God in your life. The Holy Spirit is God's power in your life to bring change, to teach all things, going back to the verse, to remind you of everything that Jesus has said. Now, for the disciples, that's an audible thing. For us, it's to remind us of what is contained in God's Word. It is the Holy Spirit that is our promised guide and counselor. And again, if you weren't here yesterday, that term counselor is not about going for counseling. The term counselor is judicial, as in a lawyer. 
the one to act as our representative between us and God's holy court. Jesus is our intermediary. He's the mediator between us and God. But the Holy Spirit is our lawyer, our counselor that handles our case before God. And in so doing, it is the Holy Spirit that teaches us what we need to know. Y'all, this is the difference between having information and actually learning it. We have information in God's word. We have everything we need to know right in there. But just because you have the textbook doesn't know doesn't mean that you understand it. Right? Just because you have information doesn't know that you know how to process it and tie everything together to read the information correctly. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And that's why reliance on the Holy Spirit is of absolute importance. I cannot stress this enough. If this is what the Holy Spirit was promised to do to the disciples, and it was, if this is what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of those who follow Christ, and he does, then this must mean that the Holy Spirit is of such vast importance, of such crucial relevance to our lives, that we ought to be living in light of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because let me tell you, it is only through the Holy Spirit that verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It is only through the Holy Spirit that this is possible. Without the Holy Spirit to indwell you, to teach you, to guide you, to empower you, to act as your counselor, your representative, there is no peace. There is no peace. There is no courage. There is no faith. So, <clears throat> as we go into this week-long break, and as we come to Thanksgiving, <clears throat> that day that is set apart, yet as God's people, every day should be Thanksgiving for us, but nevertheless, consider your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Consider your level of reliance upon God's Spirit. Consider what the Holy Spirit has done for you. Give thanks and praise his name. But y'all, realize too that if you want peace, if you want power, and I don't mean ridiculous power, I'm talking about real power to face life, it is going to be through loving Jesus. And as a result of seeking his kingdom first, as he said, all these other things are added. It all comes down to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the many gifts that you have given to us. As, as your Son and our Savior promised these things to the disciples, we know that these are our reality. We've done nothing to deserve it. We've not worked hard enough. We've not earned our way into your favor. You love us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, that we would love him, not just in some lofty, idealistic way that isn't really real, but instead that we would love him by trusting him, by doing what he says. Please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts to this end. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. 
I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for our service and then Monday morning, November 28th, not next week due to Thanksgiving, but Monday morning, November 28th. All right, I see we got Christine, good morning. And then there's Alice and Becky and Becky, good morning to y'all. And indeed, happy Thanksgiving, Monica. God is so good. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much, Alice. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too. And then I see Elizabeth. Y'all are such a blessing to me. Again, Lord willing, we'll be back Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And then we will return um, on Monday, November 28th at 7 a.m., Lord willing, for devotionals. Until then, have a great week. Enjoy your time. Have a happy Thanksgiving.